today we're thinking about one particular area which is relevant to all of us, and I think it's an area where our culture has a very different blueprint for what God has. And therefore, I think for each of us, massively crucial today that we lean in hard to what God says about this topic. We're going to be thinking today all about the area of singleness and what it means to follow God within the experience of singleness. And we may have lots of questions about that. Uh, We likely do. And uh, I therefore want to very deliberately up front limit my scope today. Uh, I'm not going to be able to answer everything, uh, but I want to try my best to answer one question today, which is this question, is singleness good? That's all I'm going to try and do. Uh, It might take me quite a while, so buckle in, but I want to answer and linger and look really at what God says about that question. And uh, the plan is to go through the Bible and to look at various ways that that question is looked at and answered throughout the story of Scripture. And then I want to land in, very practically at the end, to one very radical passage in the New Testament Uh, which is all about what this means right now for today to live uh, out in that experience of singleness, to live for Jesus radically. That's what I want to do. Now, a few disclaimers uh, right off the bat, if you'll permit me. Number one, please do not leave and not listen uh, if you are not right now single, okay? Um, I think that all of us need to understand deeply what God says about everything, Uh, and particularly about this issue for quite a few reasons. Uh, Firstly, we as the West site are a body. That's what the Bible says about what we are. We are not, hear me, we are not a collection of uh, individuals with something in common. Some people like golf, some people like Christianity, and therefore we come together as individuals in a room and are near to each other occasionally. That's not what Westside is. Westside is a body, an interconnected organism that one member is linked intrinsically to every other member. And therefore, the lived and felt experience of anybody in Westside is absolutely important to everybody in Westside. Do you see that? Because we are, when, when one person flourishes, Westside flourishes with them. And when one person is not able to, that is to the detriment of all of us because we are a connected body. Our fates are tied together as the church. And so this is crucial for all of us. Second thing I want to just note about singleness. Singleness is a little bit broader as an experience than we often tend to think of it instinctively, particularly in discussions around what does God say about singleness. Singleness is the experience of someone who uh, is looking to get married but isn't for whatever reason. It is the experience of someone who is lifelong single, but those are the ways we often think about it. It's also the experience of someone who, for whatever reason, their marriage has broken down and perhaps they are single again, It's also the experience of someone who has lost a spouse. I was reading uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, beautifully short book, he doesn't write many of those, uh, called A Grief Observed Recently. It's the story of he was a man who's massively used by God, lived most of his adult life single, had a short marriage, and then his wife passed away. He was single again. And it struck me as I was reading it, sounds like a slightly morbid note, but that probably 
Uh, one out of every married couple in Church Central will live many years as a single Christian again, uh, unless, you know, you know, you can work out unless what. Um, but actually, singleness isn't only how we often think of it. Singleness is something all of us need to know about, whether it's for today or not. Thirdly, I think it's relevant for all of us because missionally, uh, we need to be a church that is ready to understand and speak into and reach into lots of different types of people in our city. And in the UK, for the first time ever at the last census, it was recorded that a majority of UK adults are not married. That was the first time that was ever the case, 51%. And as Europe's youngest city, I don't know if you knew that about your city, um, or whether you feel that you contribute to its youth. But Europe, uh, Europe's youngest city is Birmingham. And with people generally waiting longer in our cultural moment before their first marriage, if they get married, actually the demographic of Birmingham will increasingly include large swathes of people for whom this is their lived experience. So if we really want to be a church that is for the good of our city, we need to know God's blueprint for this experience. That's, uh, if you're making notes, that's the end of point one of the three-point list of disclaimers before the sermon. So, so settle in. Um, disclaimer number two, um, thank you so much for thinking this loudly as I began in your mind, but I know that I'm not single right now. Um, thank you for thinking it. It helped me to hear your thoughts there. Um, on a serious note, if you feel uh, you, you would be entitled to any number of feelings about uh, me giving this talk, that would be fine. Uh, if you feel uh, funny or, or kind of um, confused about that, just to encourage you, as did I when I was initially asked to give this talk, as the email I sent back in response would reveal if you ever saw it. But I've come to believe really strongly, actually, that uh, it's at least okay that I'm giving this talk. And that's because my task here, and never actually should a preacher's task be primarily to share one's personal story. That's not what my job is today. Uh, I don't at this moment have a long personal story of singleness. I'm not here to talk about primarily how singleness feels. I would be ill-qualified for that task at this point. But I'm here to try and teach us as a church what the Bible says about singleness. That is my scope today. And uh, it's on you to decide whether I'm qualified for that task. We will see at the end when I hand out an exam and whether you have learned correctly. No, we won't do that. Uh, so I know that I'm not single right now. Uh, number three, this is quite important, disclaimer number three. I'm aware that as we begin talking about this topic that there are uh, perhaps any number of feelings that we bring into this discussion, uh, for all of us actually, uh, fear or uh, questions, perhaps some pain as well. I'm seriously glad this morning that we are not on our own in this room today, but that there's this guy, right? He's called the Good Shepherd, and he's here by the Spirit this morning. And he wants our church to flourish around this blueprint. And he knows all of our hearts. He knows all of our experiences. And he's a great pastor. And he's a great shepherd. He's an excellently sensitive speaker. Yeah, his sheep know his voice. And so he's, we're in good hands today. And what I want to do is just pray for a moment. I'm sure he would have been good at shepherding us if I hadn't prayed. 
Um, but I want to pray and just lean into him uh, and lead us in that, and then we'll dive into what the Bible says. Is that okay? Great. Let's just pray for a second. Jesus, thank you that you are rightly entitled the Good Shepherd. Thank you that you are king and strong and mighty, but also you are good, and you know how to lead us. You know how to lead us by still waters, as we've already sung, uh, to, to quench our thirst. You know how to lead us uh, into green pastures to feed us and nourish us. We just open ourselves up to you this morning, Jesus. We, we believe that you are great and you have always good things to say. So we open our hearts to you. Shepherd us. Shepherd us. Shepherd this uh, sight this morning, Jesus. We, we, we put all of us in your hands. Thank you that you know what we need. You know us. Uh, your will be done this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so remember, the qu- we need to get rolling. We're now into the sermon. Um, the question that we're looking at today is, is singleness good? Now, I think that's quite a confusing question. The culture, on the one hand, seems to celebrate increasingly, I don't know if you've noticed this, the advantages of remaining not married. Our culture is increasingly positive about that experience. Uh, One article defines singleness as the ability to travel on a whim, flirt without fear, and do whatever the hell you want. Uh, And one described it as solvency, great sex, and a guilt-free life. That's where our culture is coming from on the issue of not being married these days. But when you think about the Bible and what God's blueprint for singleness is, I think the culture is massively against what God says about singleness. I think that the culture would say that the Christian blueprint for singleness is pitiful at best and harmful at worst because a Christian and biblical view of singleness isn't simply that we are not married, but it is also that we choose to not have sex and not be sexually active based on the teachings of Scripture all the way through, endorsed by Jesus and the New Testament writers, that sex is not this dirty, weird thing like often Christians have said. Sex is a good gift of God for some people in one context, which is a marriage between a man and a woman. And so to be single as a Christian, do you see, is not simply to embrace the perceived freedom that the culture would big up, but it's also to choose not to be sexually active. And that is a blueprint for singleness that our culture mercilessly mocks, actually. Have you noticed that? In the film, uh, A 40-Year-Old Virgin, it's such a cruel title because the way that that is marketed is literally to depend upon the assumption that we'll all share the belief that that's a silly person, you know? And that's an incredibly powerful thing in our culture, and it's an incredibly powerful lie of our culture. And there would be many reasons why our culture has fallen for the lie that you need to have sex in order to be fulfilled, that sex equals intimacy and sex equals love and all those different lies that our culture has believed. There is no time, not least because I did a three-point pre-sermon, to go into all of those things today. All I will say is this, that for someone who is seeking, in Jesus' name, to live a biblically single life, 
Our culture is a phenomenally hostile environment. It's an incredibly hard place and time to live if God is calling you to this way of life right now. And here's my point. If the culture is a hostile place for biblically single Christians, the church of Jesus had better not be. The church of Jesus had better live up to a totally better story and better vision for what a human being is and what life is and what family is and what church is if the culture is so hostile. And I think actually in the Western church, actually we often, and this is kind of unavoidable in a sense, we breathe the air of our culture. We're not a church in a vacuum, we're a church in a culture. And so the culture's idols and lies and missteps, if we're not very deliberate, will sort of just naturally seep into the church as well. And I think sometimes the church can perpetuate the lies that married life is where the real action is. And we need to work hard, and I praise God for many in the West Side who do this. We need to work hard until the day we die and never grow weary of deliberately and consciously building a church culture that radically reflects God's blueprint, not just puts a religious song-singing sheen on the idols of our culture. And there would be a decent rant in the making there, but there's no time. So what is God's blueprint? If that's what we need to build on, what is God's blueprint? Now, you'd be forgiven for being a little confused uh, about what the Bible says about singleness because there's quite a varied take on it depending on where you flip your Bible open. There are New Testament verses that seem to speak of it very positively, saying things like it's a gift. They also, in the New Testament, it's spoken of as if it would uh, include loss or a sense of cost as well. Some Old Testament places speak of it very negatively and speak of singleness as being a curse, an extremely bad thing. And if we're living single right now, you may well associate and recognize both of those ends of the spectrum in your felt experience. You, you might well at times uh, look at some of the difficulties that seem to come up in marriages or, or whatever, and you might at times breathe a bit of a sigh of relief at what you have not got to deal with. And yet at times I know that this will feel, particularly in our culture, like the, the Old Testament says, like it's a curse or a problem to be solved. And I think well-meaning Christians who only question to a single person is, so when are you getting married or is anyone on the scene can actually help that or rather hinder that feeling because we can feel like this is primarily a problem. So which is it? What does the Bible say? Is it, is it a gift or is it a curse? What I want to do is trace that question through the Bible and see at different points in the story what God says about it. Let's start at the beginning always a good place to start in my experience. Uh, and in Genesis, you remember, God creates the world, God creates it good, it's all good, 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 creates Adam, it's good, and then it's not good. And it's not good for man to be alone. Now, whenever, praise God correctly, whenever that sentence is read out in any church nowadays, it is immediately followed by this sentence, as it should be. 
This is not talking about singleness, okay, which it isn't. And I want to just flag that up really clearly. This is talking about aloneness, and the two are very different. Uh, You can be alone in a crowd. Uh, Many of us would know that experience. You can be alone in a marriage. Perhaps some of us would know that experience. And you can be in deep, life-giving relationships as a single person, and many of us know that experience. So this is talking about aloneness, cut-offness, isolation as being not good rather than singleness, and I just wanted to say that. But because human relationships are essential to all of us, God creates a woman, and there's this instruction to the man and the woman which really functions as the big vision for all humans, the big thing you're here to do, your raison d'etre, your life goal. According to the Bible, God says in Genesis 1, uh, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, right? So that's the task. I sometimes paraphrase this as fill the earth with the blessing of God. They get blessed and they're to spread out into the world and fill this whole thing with the blessing of God. And if that's the life goal, if that's the vision, perhaps the best way to assess whether singleness is good, okay, come with me, is to assess to what degree does it help us or hinder us from fulfilling that big vision? We don't mean is singleness easy when we say singleness good, because it isn't. Neither is marriage. Life's in a fallen world is hard. Let's all just agree. We don't mean is it easy. Is it good? Does it help us? Like, I don't know if there's any Mario Kart fans in. This might be a bit niche. But in Mario Kart, stick with me. In Mario Kart, if you uh, get a boost, a turbo boost, you, on the journey towards your end goal, get propelled forward towards it. Is singleness like that? Or is singleness like a banana skin that you get in Mario Kart, where you hit it and you, you accidentally, you didn't want to hit it, but you, you hit it and you spiral sideways and, and, and lose? Is that what it is? Does it propel us or hinder us towards this big vision? Now, help me. On face reading, if the task is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, this is not a trick question, On face reading, does being single and celibate help you or hinder you from fulfilling that goal? Hinders you are okay to say that. Don't worry, there's more of the talk. It hinders you because literally the task then is populate the planet with people who can bless the planet, okay? And so obviously if Adam and Eve had been like, I'm going to choose to live single, that's a banana skin moment in the Bible. It would have been a shorter book. Maybe some of you are like, that would have been helpful. But yeah. But then in the story, Adam and Eve turn away from God. They fall, as it is said. They fall. But there's this promise, and you have to see, you have to see how crucial this is to this discussion. Okay? There's a promise to this snake that has slithered into creation and ruined it by lying and trying to bring us down, represents Satan, the evil one. There's a promise to the snake. And the promise is this that one day. There's a descendant, an offspring, a child, a family tree member of the woman who is going to rise up and save us, who is going to crush the serpent and win. And this is massive 
Because this means that at this point in the story, not only does God's vision for the world being blessed rest on people having sex and babies and spreading out, God's vision for salvation at this point rests upon people having sex and having babies because we're looking for a baby. We're looking for a descendant. We're going to be saved by an offspring. So is singleness and celibacy good at this point in the story? No. Very bad. Very bad. If Adam and Eve or their kids or their kids or their kids had said, I am choosing to be single, that is them going against the grain of God's plan for salvation. Now fast forward to Abraham in Genesis 12. We will leave Genesis at some point, I promise. But in in Genesis 12, Abraham is given a promise by God that he'd get a land and he would become a great nation. And then in Genesis 22, that here's, here's that phrase again, descendants would be as many as the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. So keep building the picture with me. On top of looking for a promised child and being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, we're now about becoming a nation in a physical land, and we have to populate it by having countless, not enough to form a worship band or a football team, countless children. Descendants are plenty, is the task, is what God is doing in this point in the story. And so is singleness good at this point in the story? Can you play a full and active part in the kingdom of God and his vision for the earth at this point in the story as a single and celibate person? No, actually. Because the kingdom grows through physical children being born into it at this point. And so in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, no faithful follower of God would deliberately choose to be single. There are single followers of God in the Old Testament and God uses them, but no faithful follower would choose that. And on and on it goes, speed up slightly, through the Old Testament. Throughout the whole Old Testament, the big life goal for God's people is build the physical kingdom of Israel. Populate it and strengthen it and fight for it. And that's why blessing is often described in the Old Testament. What does it mean to live a blessed life in ways that serve that end of establishing the nation of Israel? And that's why blessing is things like land, because you need that in a nation, money, riches, long life. And that's a blessing, not least because it enables you to have tons of children. That's what blessing is described as in the Old Covenant. And in Deuteronomy 28, just get the whole sense of what I'm saying. Don't worry about all of the detail. If God was to be judging you or cursing you or withholding blessing, it would be seen in that those blessings aren't part of your life. And so your land gets overrun by some other nation or your riches get taken or you're struck down early in your life, and crucially in this discussion, you experience what the Old Testament writers and a lot of women who write incredible bits of scripture in the Old Testament speak of as barrenness or fruitlessness of the womb. And that's actually a curse or a sign of the absence of God's blessing in the Old Covenant. So is singleness good here? No. It's why it says of Jephthah's daughter in Judges 11, bear in mind, 
she's just been told her dad's going to kill her. So that's quite bad. But she responds like this. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. That there, if you flick that open in your devotions, that isn't because she didn't want to die without having sex or was finding her singleness particularly challenging that week for whatever reason. The reason that that's such a big deal is because in being single and celibate, she couldn't do be fruitful and multiply. She couldn't do help Israel flourish. She couldn't do populate the kingdom. She couldn't do what God is calling us to do. She couldn't do what she was here to do. She was prevented from being a full and active member of God's kingdom because that's what God is doing in that point of the story and she's shut out of it. Now this, as you'll note by your emotional temperature at this point, is quite bleak and feeling that way. And then in your Bible, you get to Isaiah And there are these glimpses of a radical change coming down the pipeline. In Isaiah 54, Isaiah sees, you know what a prophecy is in the Old Testament. He sees down the timeline into the future, sees what God's going to do. And through the clouds, it's a bit hazy, but he sees this revolution in singleness coming down the line. Where single women, first of all, in Isaiah 54, who follow God will sing for joy because there is a way for them to have, it says, more children somehow than a married woman. And Isaiah 56 sees through the haze into the future somewhere for eunuchs or single guys who for various reasons were lifelong single and celibate. He sees a day when for single guys who commit their life to following God, there's a legacy and a name far greater, it says, far greater than sons and daughters can give. So a change is going to come. A change is going to come. But what a change. Do you see? Hope I've laid it out. What a radical change it would have to be to go from singleness and celibacy is a sign of the curse and you can't join in to something that within the challenges which are real, there can be room for joyful singing within it. And you can partake in such a way that it's greater than having countless sons and daughters. What a change that needs to come. Something dramatic needs to happen. And one starry, starry night in Bethlehem, the change, the revolution in singleness is born. He's called Jesus. Mary births not only a baby, not only a saviour of the world, but a revolution in singleness that lasts till the end of time. Because as he always does, if you're new to Christianity, this is your only take-home point. On any subject, Jesus changes everything completely. Jesus is born, and here is a new, the New Testament describes him as, a new Adam that the new Adam would really show us what it means to be blessed by God and told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Jesus is now the new Adam. Jesus is the new Israel who would truly show us what it meant to be the chosen son who would display God's glory and blessing to the nations. Jesus is that. Jesus is the true human being who grows up to show us what the true blessed life in the true kingdom of God was always going to look like. 
and it is not what we imagined because Jesus, here's your take home, changes everything. Now, Jesus lives in his life, did you clock this, with none of the blessings of the Old Testament covenant. Do you see that? Wealth, land, long life, kiddies. He has none of them. Instead of wealth, he's poor and pronounces blessed are the poor. Instead of land, he has no place to lay his head, but says we will inherit the earth if you're in the kingdom of Jesus. Instead of long life, he is hacked down in his prime and says there's eternal life for those in the kingdom of Jesus. And instead of having descendants of plenty, he's lifelong single. He never has sex. He never has kids. Jesus, if you get your Christian assumptions off, looks like he's not contributing to building the kingdom. He's the king, but he looks like he's not playing his part. It looks like he's not being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. He looks like a dead end. And yet here we are in 2019 in his name as one tiny section of the church of Jesus, the single savior. Jesus shows us that you can serve God, be used by God, follow God, lead under God, be blessed by God, bring the blessing of God, make a lasting and profound impact on planet earth as a single person. And because of that, everything about the kingdom of God and participation in the kingdom of God changes with Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are, it's not like God's changed his mind, but because of Jesus, we're no longer looking for the promised offspring. He's here. We don't need to save the world. We don't need loads of kids now. You're allowed to have loads of kids, all right? But you don't, God's salvation plan doesn't depend on you having loads of kids because the Savior has been born. Happy Christmas. Because of Jesus, we are no longer called to populate and belong to a physical kingdom called Israel. We are called to belong to and populate a spiritual kingdom called the church. Because of Jesus, people now enter God's kingdom not by being physically born into Israel but by being spiritually reborn into the church. Because of Jesus being fruitful and multiplying, is transformed from birthing physical children to birthing spiritual children. And fruitfulness no longer means the fruit of the womb that comes through having sex, but the fruit of the spirit that comes through abiding in Jesus, the true human, the true Israel, the vine. I'm yelling a lot. There's loads more to say. There's no time. Greg, thank you. Greg, uh, Greg Moore says it like this. The expansion plan of God's kingdom in the Old Testament was through physical multiplication, something that excluded singles. If we were building an old covenant site, singles should feel a bit on the outside of it. Now... God's people march towards glory in the New Testament age through spiritual multiplication by disciple making. The procreation mandate given to Adam is reissued through the coming of Christ. Go forth, West Siders.
and multiply spiritual children. It's why probably the most fruitful Christian we've heard of, I say we've heard of because probably the most fruitful Christian ever is some unheard of person in North Korea just being a legend. But the most fruitful Christian we've heard of is the Apostle Paul. And he did not have 2.4 children. He never, bless him, could do sermon illustrations about his two daughters. My bad for that being the only illustration I ever use. He was single, and yet he writes so often to the churches as my dear children. Or of Timothy as his true, not pretend, true child in the faith. At last, in the church of Jesus The prophecy of Isaiah comes true, that now barren women can sing for joy. There's pain still. But now instead of only pain, there's also now the ability to have joyful singing. Because now there is a way to have spiritual children a plenty, a legacy, a role. Single guys can build a legacy that far outlasts that of having sons and daughters by investing and giving their all as every married person or single person should to the mission of the church of Jesus. Now, single people, I'm doing this thing where I'm doing this talk that needs to be sensitive and I'm yelling so much, I know. I am not, please hear me, and more importantly, the shepherd, the good shepherd is not belittling or overlooking the very real challenges that your specific lived experience now brings with it. But do you hear, could you let your head be lifted, your soul be spoken to by God? That the call of the kingdom now comes to you so loudly and passionately. You are in, you have a part to play, you are on the team, you are not on the outside. God is calling you, God is calling all of us. Pause, breathe swallow. Now, in fact, there's actually a bigger revolution in singleness than I've said already. And this is where we're going to land into this passage before we finish. This passage, which is explosive. This passage in 1 Corinthians 7 will shake you to your core, whoever you are, because it is anti every idol and assumption we have. 1 Corinthians 7 seems to suggest, Paul says, That singleness isn't merely allowed in the kingdom of God. It's not simply that it isn't a banana skin anymore. He seems to see, and he's single, specific characteristics of a season of singleness that if used for God's glory can even function as advantages or aids in sacrificial service in the kingdom of God. That they can even, not by just not bothering, but if you take them to God and use them deliberately, they can be, they can function as booster packs in the vision of life towards the goal, be fruitful and multiply. That's what Paul seems to say. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, I wish everyone was single just as I am. If you think he's now anti-marriage or you're going to go home and get divorced in response to the talk at church. He's not anti-marriage. He says, yet each person has a special gift. That's what marriage is. A special gift from God of one kind or another. But I don't want you to see that. I want you to see he calls singleness a special gift 
And in a way, he wishes everyone in the kingdom could enjoy some of the unique opportunities. He says more and explains in verse 32 to 35. I'm just going to read it. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about, has to think about, has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided in the same way a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be, won't drift into it, but you can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. So both are good, both are allowed, both are moral, both are Christian. But I want you to do, Westsider, whatever will help you towards the big thing, which is to serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Now, whereas sometimes we, because of the cultural air we breathe, can only feel or mainly only feel the specific challenges that come with being single, Paul here doesn't overlook that, but he wants to loudly say two specific opportunities within singleness. And we'll do those and then we'll be done. The first, he says, is availability to God. There is in the season of singleness, according to verse 32, an availability of time to do the Lord's work and to think how to please God. Now, I am known by a couple of my friends who listen to my talks in this thing called Church Central as the king of the caveat, because often I give you a thing and then I say 11 things I'm not saying and you forget what I was saying. So I'm, uh, with, the, with the risk acknowledged that I might do that now, this isn't saying, <laughs> this is, <laughs> I'm caveating my caveats. This doesn't mean that a single person has all the time in the world on their hands. This isn't saying a single person is sitting twiddling their thumbs thinking, what should I do tomorrow? Should I build an orphanage for the kingdom? Oh no, oh, nothing in the diary. It's not saying that. It's not saying that married people can't serve the kingdom of God because they've got no time. That's not an excuse. But what it is saying is a really obvious reality that in all the things married people and people with children have in their life thing, and all the very real and varied things that single people do, there is something in the married with kids thing that isn't in the single without kids thing, which is that you don't have to think about what your spouse is doing and your children are doing. That's just obvious, right? There's just That is a reality. There are things as a married man that I have to listen to from God and then think through the lens of, now how do I do that in the context of the grace gift that God's given me, which is my family? And Paul is saying that it's an opportunity for a single person that that's not a reality for you. 
in terms of time, when you are married with children, the amount of what I'm going to call margin around your life, as one pastor put it, I'd never be bold enough to say this, disappears in a sea of obligation, (laughs) is what one pastor said. Now, it's joyful obligation, and it's God-given obligation. It is a special gift, the Bible says. But it's an obligation. There are things I cannot do and things I will not do because God has given me this gift, which is my family. And the implication that Paul brings out is that for single people like him, there are things you can do, places you can go, calls you can follow, time you can give, unique blessings that you alone can pour into a needy world, not in spite of, but even because of the current season of singleness that you're in. Instead of seeing singleness as positive, because as the journalist said at the start, you can do whatever the hell you want, Paul sees singleness as positive because there's an increased availability to do whatever God wants. Now, John Tyson, uh, a pastor in New York, where 80% of his congregation are singles, uh, he says that most singles spend most of their time, I think most humans, spend most of their time living in FOMO. FOMO is the fear of missing out, okay? That's what that means. And most singles are Uh, aware of FOMO and living in FOMO. And he says one of the liturgies in his church, it's not a particularly traditional liturgy, is in the name of Jesus, I cast out FOMO. And instead, I speak in the name of Jesus. FOSO, FOSO, FOSO. And do you know what FOSO is? The fear of squandering opportunity. And he speaks that into his church. The fear, might you have the fear of squandering your opportunities. Single people in this room, Jesus has made a way for the blessing of planet earth to be done not through children, but through spirit-filled, courageous followers of Jesus, of whatever relationship status, going outwards with the gospel. And the question God would have for you today is therefore, how will you use your singleness. And maybe God wants to, and you need to allow him to transform how you see your season of singleness this morning. From primarily a problem to be solved, now to primarily, not only, but primarily an opportunity to be maximized for the glory of Jesus. There's an availability and Secondly and lastly, there's a devotion to God accessible in a season of singleness. This passage says that being married is an incredibly dangerous thing spiritually. Because a married person's heart can be, verse 34, divided, divided. Now we often think in kind of Western church culture, the married people are sorted, (laughs) Like, there's so many, so many risks for a single Christian, so many challenges. We could just get them sorted and safe. That's not how Paul sees it. Paul says there's a risk in marriage of being divided. And conversely, he says, in singleness, there is a heightened opportunity for undivided devotion to Jesus. He says someone who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord. Now, as I said, it doesn't happen automatically. You don't just drift into devotion, not in this culture. 
but there's an opportunity if you grab it to grow in passionate, single-minded, unquenchable devotion to God within singleness. This is God's word. I know there are challenges. This is God's word. And he says that he's calling you deeper in singleness. He's calling you to an undivided devotion. That's what he's doing. Can you hear him wooing you to deep heart-to-heart devotion? Now, in a similar passage in Matthew 19, Jesus acknowledges what many of you might be feeling, which is he says that not many will be able to accept this teaching. It comes, it's against our idols, isn't it? But he also says this, the one who can accept this should accept it. Single people, God is calling you to a radical devotion, to undivided attention, to faith-filled availability to respond to his voice. Please do not waste your singleness. And please, Westside Church Central Rich Pit, do not contribute to a church culture that helps people waste their singleness. Do not waste it by doing whatever you want. Do not waste it by refusing to do anything other than focus on the negatives. Don't waste it swiping on Tinder. However long this season lasts, the church of Jesus needs you to grab it with both hands and run at it hard for Jesus. I speak in the name of Jesus, FOMO, to leave you now. And I speak in the name of Jesus, FOSO, fear of squandering opportunity.